pray for kids and youth. Father, we thank you for kids and youth and that the church is full of them today, the next generation of power and authority for you. And we ask your anointing on their leaders today. We ask, Lord, that your, your spirit is so with them, that your presence is so upon um, that uh, they go home with greater measure of you today. Amen. Amen. I think our, wor- our worship team loves the name of Jesus. <laughs> Anybody else? I almost want to hear, like, what went on in your prayer time with him this week? <laughs> hmm. The name of Jesus. All right, so we're in, uh, we're in the fourth part of a series on anointing, and I told you last week, you know, what we're going to do this week is we're kind of doing a shift. I don't even know if you'll feel this shift or it's really just for me, but um, we're moving into competence now. We've spent three weeks laying a foundation that, um, that you are made to be anointed ones too. Now we're going to start into, so how, that there's got to be some reality to this, or we're talking about, about a bunch of m- just mystical weird stuff, and half the time, that's what this, I, I want to say the world, but you know, I really want to say half the time, that's what the church thinks, unfortunately. It's just, the anointing is when it gets weird. Well, you know what? Let me be weird. <laughs> if that if the presence of the holy spirit upon me and for the effectiveness for the ability to to manifest and reveal the father's heart in this place requires me to be weird I'll be as weird as you want me to be lord but the anointing is not weird it's god's normal in fact i wrote this down um during worship this came to mind there was so much about about death and resurrected life in the name of jesus um but I want to say this, um, Jesus is the anointed one, right? Now, um, whose life do we come into? Jesus. So what does that make you? Anointed. It makes you anointed ones. You see, it's not weird. You're totally intended for the anointing. In fact, you can't read this (laughs) and not come away from it knowing that you're totally intended for the anointing. Okay? That's what you're made for. You're made for the power and authority. You're made to reveal the Father's heart. Now, the gospel, the good news, is an invitation. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start and end with a thought today, okay? The deepest part of the invitation is the anointing. Why? It's, it's the presence of God. It's the effective presence of God, of God upon. Jesus' anointing says the Spirit came upon and remained. We are in the struggle of, the, of this warfare causes us to struggle, okay? And we are in the struggle of becoming the people that the Spirit, in that measure, remains upon. That's what we're doing. So the deepest invitation of the kingdom of God is the, is the Holy Spirit's presence upon you, is the anointing. Okay, so, um, but we have to understand, like, what is that invitation? We're going to begin this morning. Um, what does that mean? How do you enter or accept, say yes to that invitation? And this is just kind of the first thing that we're going to begin to deeply talk about um, to move into that. To start, 
um, we have to do kind of a warm-up. So go to John 6, and I'm going to do, do this first part kind of at light, light speed. Okay, so uh, that's just kind of my disclaimer, um, and it's because there's so much good stuff, and I've got to I've got to get to the what I'm really supposed to say, but we have to do this first. Did I tell you John six? I'm starting right in verse one. Okay, and um, this is you. M- most all of you know this story. This is feeding the five thousand. Okay, and it reads like this. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Why did they follow him? They, they saw the signs. Now, we're, we're in a mode now in the church where we almost think signs are, are a negative thing, or that's the weird part. And let me tell you something. Jesus also had harsh words for those who demanded a sign, right? You all know that story? They said, well, if you're the Christ or whatever, show us a sign. And he says it's a wicked and adulterous generation that demands a sign. In other words, what? If you're seeking for the signs, that's not what we're talking about. That's wicked. <laughs> uh, however, the word of God never, never sets forth the idea that the church is not supposed to be full of signs. It causes people to follow him. <laughs> okay, that's not the message. I was supposed to do this at light speed. <laughs> because they saw the signs. Verse 3, and Jesus went up on the mountain and, mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. In other words, Jesus knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now listen, I'm just using this as a warm-up for one simple thing, okay? And that's this. This word test, verse 6 says, but this he said to test him, to test Philip. Now we know if we keep reading that the other disciples are watching. So he's discipling them. And this word test, um, I, I actually learned kind of a new nuance that I did not know. I already interpreted this passage this way, but this word is crazy. It's to prove, and I knew that, but did you know that it also very strongly means to entice? In other words, you could read this, um, but this he said to entice him. <laughs> I love that. Entice him to what? Have faith. To have faith. Okay, but I'm going to tell you, he's, and that's exactly right, but it's to entice him into a wealthy kingdom. And I'm telling you, that's what this passage is all about. If we're going to talk about the anointing, what we're talking about is living in the wealth of the kingdom. This, this passage is all about God's, God's extravagant ability to provide miraculously if necessary. In fact, all provision is miraculous, but it's his normal. Miracle is his normal. And he's enticing that that this... That, that you, can, you can take this to the bank. You can have that faith. What he's doing here is he is enticing them to say, you come with a pauper mindset, with a poverty mindset, and anointing the presence of God upon making us effective is all about the 
opposite of that. It's all about the wealth of the kingdom. It's all about his idea that his presence, the weight of his glory is so powerfully on his chosen that we exhibit the wealth of the Father, not poverty. Amen. Okay, now I'm going to go... See, we, we just have to start there. Um, you know that um, we had a whole series on anointing. I think that was this year, <laughs> earlier this year. Um, actually, it would have to be last year by the calendar years. I just mean within a year. Um, and do you know that authority and anointing are not the same thing, but we could almost teach it as they're like best buds. You could almost teach it. They're almost synonyms. But they're not synonyms, because listen to me, we seek a person. The anointing upon our life is the person of the Holy Spirit upon our life. Authority is a thing, a very important thing. It's something that issues from the courts of heaven through the Spirit, and it is meant for you to have loads of it if you were part of our, our authority series. But, but we seek a person, and we're going to see that in this next thing we're going to read. Okay, so go to John 15. You all know John 15. John 15, I'm starting in chapter 5. Uh, verse 5, thank you. Chapter 5, verse 5. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, being a part of the vine chapter, right? The abiding chapter. Did you know that that chapter is about the anointing? What did I say? Did I do it wrong again? Oh, okay. Good. I'm like, whew, pray for me. <laughs> Did you know that this chapter is about anointing? Have you ever thought of it about it that way? I'm getting some yeses. I'm getting some noes. I love it. Okay. So verse 5, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking of himself. And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. What's required to bear fruit? Abiding. Abiding. Isn't it crazy? It's that simple and that complicated. <laughs> For without me, you can do nothing. Now, isn't that what we've been saying for three weeks? And I know you all know that truth, but how does that relate to anointing? In other words, without him, without the spirit of Jesus upon, without that anointing, you literally can do nothing. We talked about that last week in terms of like there is a huge difference between just doing kind acts, living a generous life. That's great. Be kind. Be generous. But that is not the same thing as moving in the spirit and producing eternal fruit. You can be kind until the day you die. And it can have nothing to do with the eternal fruit that is produced in the anointing of the spirit. The miracles of the heart. This is about that. Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. I know I'm moving fast. It's because I want to go really slow when we get to the meaty part. Okay. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Abiding's a pretty big deal. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's an anointing verse, in case you didn't catch it. That's probably one of the most convicting verses of my life. Every time I read it, I feel a little sting. Because you either minimize it and pass over it, or you believe it and you realize how, fall, how far short 
most of my days, most of my moments falls short of that. And I believe it, so it stings me every time I read that. If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's power and authority. That's a line. I'm going to show you that peace is in this passage. You know, peace really means alignment. That's alignment with God. In other words, you will ask what you desire and what your desires will align with his. That's anointing. That's moving in the spirit, not just doing good things. Okay? And it shall be done for you. It goes on. Verse 8 is even a bigger mind blower. But by this, my father is glorified. By what? By abiding and by receiving the answers of your prayers. It literally says that. It says, you'll ask what you desire, and it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. And by what? That you bear much fruit. So how's he glorified? In the bearing of fruit. And he says, so you'll be my disciples. That's probably the most powerful phrase. You know what that means? In other words, in, other words, in this way, you're my disciples. Say this with me. I'm made to bear fruit. Yes, you are. Now we're telling the truth. This morning, you're made for fruit. Did I finish that? Yes. Okay, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... Now, I'm going to tell you, commandments should usually be translated instruction. Okay, so every time we see commandments today, put instruction. Let me tell you why that's important. We have a real problem in the church where we have the same problem they had when Jesus was walking the three years of his, of his ministry before he put the Spirit in us and gave us that ministry. We, they're, they're very much, they were very much consumed with the law, and, and i got to tell you, even if you don't think you are, so are we. We read that if we leave that translated commandments instead of instruction like it really is, it... Um, it leaves us in a place where we think it's like it's like a commander and he's barking orders at a, orders at a troop. Um, you understand what I'm saying? And that that's not what this is saying. This is saying, um, if you keep my instructions, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's instructions and abide in His love. In other words, what is that? We we've been talking about this a lot lately. He is the rabbi. Um, he was he was not like the the commander of a force. The way the way this works with a rabbi and disciples is the disciples are trying to be like the rabbi, like literally enter into the their life to do it exactly like them. Now Jesus is the first rabbi where we literally enter into his life. Previous to him, you know, it was we can do it as close to exactly like you as you do it, Rabbi. But this is a literal abiding, entering into the life. So in other words, now here it is. Listen, disciples, um, uh, let, me, let me reverse that. A good rabbi never gives instruction where it's not wanted. A good rabbi is leading the disciples to, to enter into that exact life, and in Jesus' case, literally to enter into the life of the anointed one, but he does it, he, he's the best rabbi, okay? So he's doing this, it is, it is the desire of the disciple 
to become like the rabbi. So this is not commands like do this, do that. It's instruction because the disciple is hungry to have the instruction. Does that make sense? It is not a lawful, <laughs> you follow me, but rather it is, it is the good heart of a rabbi to a disciple that wants it, that is hungry for it, that values it more than anything else. It's so important to get that because where we're leading here is how we walk into an, an anointed life, the life you're called to, the life of power and authority, the life of alignment with God, okay? Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy remains in you and that you shall, um, I'm sorry, and that your joy may be full. Now listen, I actually have to back up. Verse 9 and 10 were all about, about love. Why? This is a kingdom of love, okay? Do you know um, the most concise place I think the word of God defines what the kingdom of God is? Three things. The king, it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I think we can accurately say that's love. In other words, if you had a king, a real hypothetical here, <laughs> if you had a king who, who wanted a kingdom of love, he would establish everything in that kingdom to be a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. The word of God says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I have no idea where that is. Does anybody know where that is right now? So that's the kingdom. So it's no mistake that verse 9 and 10 tells us about, about this love, about abiding. What do we abide in? In his love. It's saying right here, and all the answers are right in Jesus. That, that, that's in this passage as well. All those answers are right. But right here it says, if, um, um, what does it say? Abide in my love. At the end of verse 9, if you keep my commandments or instructions, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my father's and abide in his. Okay, just next it starts talking about one of the three defining traits of the king or essence, essences of the kingdom of God, joy. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Do you know that his, his design, his intention is that, is that your joy is full? <laughs> oh, we're becoming a bunch of downcast Christians. Something like the COVID comes around and we're like, whoa, is me or whatever's going on in your life. And the thing is, he's overcome the world. It's, it's you know, when you know the spirit of the Lord is upon, faces beam with joy. Elder here preaches, I mean, prays that almost every Sunday when we pray before the service. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's a life passage for him, it must be, so I probably won't quote it well, but it's the, the, countenance, the countenance of our face, we will never be put to shame. And the countenance of our face will beam with joy. That's not just a bunch of baloney. He actually means that our joy would be full. Now, do you know that it is, it is in understanding and being competent in our alignment with God and having the anointing upon our life is the source of our joy? It doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on the spirit upon. 
And I'm getting, and for those of you that are going, whoa, is that right? Most of you are going, that's right, that's right. And I love that. But I'm going to prove it like this passage. Jesus' words leads us to telling you how your joy can be full, no matter what. Is that good? Okay, so let's do it. Let's keep reading here. Um, he wants your joy full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, or this is his instruction, right? In other words, this is for the disciple. This is for the one that hungers for what, what he's going to instruct next. This is, it's not, this is my commandment. <laughs> That's not discipleship, okay? So it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Now here's the wingdinger, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is where we go, now wait a minute, I thought what I was just reading about was I get whatever I want. (laughs) That's what it said, ask what you desire and you'll get it. What's this lay the life down stuff? Now, I'm telling you, I know you've read this before, but this is going to become one of the most critical foundations that you're ever going to need for understanding how you get the anointing to come upon and remain in your life. We've been saying for weeks that Jesus modeled the anointing life. He showed perfectly how you participate, come into his life and and have the anointed life he had. And it really starts right here. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Do you know that it doesn't make any sense for you to live the resurrected life until you've died first? You, you can't, you all got that? That's just logic, right? You cannot, the, the life that is in you, the same spirit of this anointing that's upon you is the spirit that raised him from the dead. But there is no such thing as living a resurrected life without, um, without having died. And I'm going to tell you, we, we're all walking a mixed bag. There's parts of me that have completely laid down my life for his friends, <laughs> Which is everybody, you know, in Romans, the word of God says everyone is an enemy of God before that work, before that resurrected work. There's no such thing as someone that's not an enemy of God. So he laid his life down for his friends, but you know what the fact is? His friends were the enemy of God. I don't know why I'm saying that. That's really not the message. But then he goes on, okay, watch this. Verse 14 is, you are my friends. Isn't it great to be his friend? Do you experience that, really? If, if you don't, remind me at the end of the service. If there's someone in here saying, I don't experience him as my friend. I would love that. I experience him in certain ways, but friend is not really one of them I would describe. I want to have our ministry team or myself pray for you this morning because he means for that. He means to have a friendship. And let's look at what that means. You are my friends if you do whatever I command or instruct you. And he says, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made made known to you. Now, for any of you that were here for last week's message, isn't that last week's message in a verse? 
I mean, it's, it's a moving in the Spirit. It's an awareness of how the Spirit's moving and joining into that invitation. That's the anointing. We can do nothing apart from Him. So we would need to know what's going on, wouldn't we? Or we could be toiling in a bunch of kind acts or unkind ones. You know, I got to say this. Um, now now I'm, here we go. <laughs> I got to say this. It's been a couple of weeks. There are, pray, do you pray for your church, for this body of Christ? Please do, because um, there are a lot of things going on. Because people are members of this church. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on and not all of it's good. The Word of God promises us that it, He's bringing it all to good. But there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of things that, that are requiring a lot of love and a lot of prayer. Okay, why did I bring that up? Um, do you know that a lot of what we think is love is not? The soft, squishy, feely kind, there's a place for that in the kingdom of God. Sometimes people just need nothing but utter mercy and grace and compassion in a moment. And listen to me, when the Spirit of God is moving like that, that's exactly what's needed. When the Spirit of God's moving like that. I've also seen more often than not, the squishy, squishy, juicy, feel all compassion side of love, more often when it's not in the move of the Spirit, it's one of the most harmful things you can do to a person. We have to know the, the, the hour and the moment and the season, and that is only in the operation of that anointing of the Spirit upon us. So important. Most of the time, how do you know God? Has God always been squishy with you? Or have you gone through <laughs> Or have you gone through seasons that were incredibly tough love, where you were certain it was like, "Oh Lord, you're beating the tar out of me." And that's that is a good, good, flawless father. Real love most of the time looks like that. A parent that only loves their children with squishiness. That's our new word for, for that kind of love now. <laughs> Is terribly harming their children. Most of the time, Parenting or being a sibling with someone or friends or whatever it is, is hard stuff. It's confronting in the boldness of the Holy Spirit um, what is off course because I love you that much. I don't know why I'm talking about that either. Okay, so, um, I want to show you this. I wanna, we're going to do a skip backwards, but keep your finger at verse 16 here in John 15. But now I want to go back just for a moment to John 14 and verse 25. Because it was just talking about how we're friends. In other words, we're in the know. It is his intention that your joy is full by moving in the prompting, the leading, the guiding, and the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, okay? So how does that happen, though? How does he get you in the know? We just have to do this. Verse 25 here says, These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things... That's kind of that's like a in the moment thing and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now 
part of the reason I'm reading this is because what did we say? What are the three things that are the, king, that are the kingdom of heaven? That's it. You guys are awesome. Um, righteousness, and y'all said it in a different order. So now, um, righteousness, peace, and joy, right? And here's the peace part. So look, righteousness is the whole passage <laughs> that we're reading. Peace, we're running into here, and we mention joy. He means for your joy to be full. In other words, the fullness of the kingdom. He means the same thing for your peace. Do you know that peace, by implication, like literally, if you, if you look it up in the, in the language guide, by implication, it means prosperity. Now, they understood that there is only, um, don't worry, I'm not about to preach a prosperity gospel. I'm about to tell you that if you understand what true prosperity is, which is alignment with God where your joy is full, because you, and, and so consequently you get whatever you ask for, that's going to be me someday. <laughs> I'm just saying. And it's going to be you too because he promises he's going to finish the work he started in you. That means you're, you're moving towards an incredibly anointed life. You're going to get whatever you ask for. I'm telling you, that's where he's going. That's his intention, that you're joyful, and that is alignment. That is prosperity. That is prosperity. You know what half of our problem is? We don't know, like, I mean, you know, you hear me saying it now, and you're like, yeah, I know that. But we have a real problem where um, we don't live as if we know what prosperity is. We seek for, do you know the world can only offer like a fleeting happiness? And the joy being full that's being talked about here is something that can never be taken away. It's, um, we're talking about an eternal, an eternal joy that is yours, and it's his intention that that's full. Okay, now it gets good. <laughs> now it gets really good, at least I think. Um, back to chapter 15, okay? And we're picking right back up where we were in verse 16. Good one. You did not choose me. Do you know that you didn't choose him? There's another one where I think half the time we just, we don't even realize it and we're not thinking according to truth. You were not capable of choosing him. He came and got you. <laughs> he snatched you up. It is the worst horrible pride to think that, um, well, I chose him. I, I found God. How many people say, I found God? No, you didn't. You got You got found. <laughs> <laughs> he was crazy about you and found you. <laughs> found you. <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. What are you chosen for? To bear fruit. What are you going to need powerfully upon you <laughs> if you're going to do that? The anointing. You guys are so good. Let me tell you about this word appointed. It means to place or position. Okay, it gets better. It says, but I chose you and appointed. So in other words, placed or position you that you should bear fruit. Now, let me tell you, this word is made up of two root words. This is so exciting to me. It's crazy. You can't make this up. 
Part of it is, is a passive part that means in, um, an upright and active position. So what's the saying? He's placed you, I mean, I picture like um, you're ready to pounce. <laughs> He's placed you in an upright, active position to bear fruit. In other words, you're made for the anointing, okay? The effectiveness of God, the presence upon. Do you know what the second part means? Properly reflexive and utterly prostrate. <laughs> Isn't that great? So they're like opposites. This word appointed means he's placed you, he's positioned you like this to bear fruit. Active and upright, like always ready to go, and completely, utterly prostrate. And it leads us where we're going. So I really, I'm kind of slowing down here because I, I want you to grab this. It leads us to the first and most critical thing you have to understand if you're walking into increased anointing so that you can reveal the Father. And so here it is. It says, um, so what are you appointed for? For fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Do you know that that's the same word, remain, that it speaks of when the Spirit came upon Jesus and remained? Oh, what do you know? Your anointing is exactly like his. Just like we talked about last week, your anointing is his. In fact, that's the life you're being invited into. So it is not only identical, it's the same anointing. <laughs> Okay, we had to redo that just even just for a second. That what, and here it is again. Here's the second sting, in case you didn't catch it the first time. That whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. You know that you're made to get everything you desire. That's got to feel really weird to some people. Come on, honestly, raise your hand if what I just said felt weird. That's weird. <laughs> it didn't say it didn't say you get to desire whatever you want <laughs> we're talking about shalom the peace perfect alignment with god is the anointing that makes it so that you can have whatever you desire because you have the mind of christ that's also the anointing verse 17 these things i command you that you love one another. Okay, and now it comes to it. All of that was just getting us ready for what needs to be said. <laughs> the first thing about anointing, verse 18, so all of that, okay? And I feel like I skipped. I, there's one phrase that is so important here. Verse 11, just for a second, I'm going back to verse 11. He, he begins here by saying, these things I've spoken to you. That, in other words, because, in other words, this is the why am I speaking to this to you? So that your joy is full. Now watch this, watch what happens here. We're back at verse 18. So he's spoken all of that about the anointing, about your desires so aligned with God, you can have whatever you ask, that your joy is full, all of that abiding in the kingdom of love to get to verse 18 to say, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Well, that, that statement, I, I'm just going to put out there that statement. It's not same. All it's saying is, is it hated me first. You got it? I mean, the next statement gets more. It's like, it's like, okay, they hated you first. They hated you before they hated me. 
And the truth is, you hear me tell you all the time, there's only one reason the enemy hates you. The enemy has no regard for you. He doesn't really hate you. He hates Jesus and his kingdom. And as long as you, you've got your lot thrown in there, then you're in the crossfire. Okay? But verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Isn't that what I just said? Now, now here's the thing. If you agree with me, and this passage is all about that anointed life, all about your joy being full because of the measure of the Spirit upon, makes this so crazy fun because you're revealing the Father so powerfully. What can be better than that? Okay? That's joyful. Okay, and if, if that's the case and he ends talking about the world hating you, there's something we have to understand about, about positioning ourselves or allowing God to position us so that we can step into this anointed life very powerfully. To do that, go to Matthew 20. Now we're going to start the real message. Help me with this, Lord. I'm going to start in verse 20. Matthew 20, 20. Ah, look at that. <laughs> 20, 20. And before I start reading, I want to ask you some questions. Do you want to have powerful anointing remaining upon you? Do you want increased, ever-increasing anointing in your life? Pres that's presence of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the increasing presence of the person of the Spirit of Jesus upon you. Okay, now I want to go, do you really? Now we're going to read about do you really? Watch this, verse 20, okay? The mother, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, to Jesus, with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. Now listen, we need a picture. We can't let the word of God be like words on a page. Um, Zebedee's sons, who are they? This is um, James and John. Good, you're all a bunch of scholars. In other words, they're the first two that he actually, that actually began to follow Jesus. He calls them and they follow, and they follow, Okay. Now, you have to picture, she's a good Jewish mother. What's, what's she doing? She's dragging. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's get a pic. This really happened. It's not words on a page. So she's dragging her sons. I kind of picture she's got them by the ear. And they're going, Mom! And she's going, no, this is good. We're, we're, I'm going to, you know what she's saying? I'm going to prove it. It's in the passage. She's saying, I'm going to walk you into the greatest anointing, the greatest authority and power. Come on. And she's got a hold of them. And they're going, this is embarrassing. Everybody's watching. And they're going and, they're, and you find out by the end of the passage, everybody is watching. <laughs> Mom, stop it. That's what's going on. Came, came with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from Jesus. And, and Jesus says to her, what do you wish? I love that. I don't think Jesus says things in jest ever, really, when you read in the scripture. So I think he's really saying to this Jewish mama, what do you want? What do you wish? And he wants to know. And she says to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, and the other on the left 
in your kingdom. That's an audacious request, is it not? You know what I'm going to show you? The more audacious part is Jesus' response. Hang on. And, and this is what I've got to say, just in case you're wondering, is this really about anointing? It is. They understood. We don't really have this in our culture anymore, but they understood that seats were seats of power and authority. And you did not sit in a seat like that without anointing. We have to kind of um, get our mind there, but they knew exactly that she was asking for the anointing of power and authority upon her sons to sit and rule. In other words, listen, hear your own calling in this, okay? Will you do this with me? In other words, she was asking for the fullness of that anointing and power, the highest seats where the ruling or the reign of heaven comes from, the right and left hand of God in the courts of heaven. She's asking for anointing for her sons. Here's what Jesus says, verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Notice he's not, so far, just notice with me, he's not saying no to the request. He's simply saying you don't know what you're asking. (laughs) Competence is so important. That's why we're doing, there was just a competence problem. I'm going to show you there's nothing wrong with her desire. Mothers, fathers, pray for your children like this. <laughs> Go to the Lord and, and I don't care, take them by the year if you want to. It can be more gentle than that. I'm just saying that is a good prayer and this passage proves it. Great anointing for my children. And pray for some for yourself as well while you're at it. And he says, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Now, I'm going to tell you, I spent most of my life reading that verse right there, thinking that, that um, where you go, yeah, they're so, they're so stupid. And you're thinking, like, I mean, think about what they're asking. And I, I, I read it as if that's kind of what Jesus was doing. You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup and have this baptism? Now watch this, though. I'm going to show you something that's the wrong interpretation, and it's right in the words. Because just next, okay, this is where um, James and John finally catch on, and they're like, whoa, like Jesus is asking real questions. Like, maybe we should play along here. And they kind of, I picture them puffing their chest out when they say this, um, saying, we are, we're able. That's what they say next at the end of verse 22. They said to him, we're able. Now, you'd almost expect a reprimand or something, wouldn't you? Or like a, (laughs) right, you're able. Don't we kind of expect that? Do you know that that's wounding and that's the lie of the enemy over our life? That we think that way. Because that is not Jesus' response. In verse 23, it says, So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. And if you were here for the earlier messages in this series, what is his baptism? It was when that, it was his anointing as well. It was when the spirit came upon and remained. And he says, you will indeed share in that baptism. 
And then he says, you know, that the Father is the one who hands out measures of anointing. Sometime coming up in the series, we're going to talk about how measures of anointing work in the Word of God. That's part of competence. In fact, we're going to brush on it today because he, he's, that's what he's talking about here. To sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give. Whose is it to give? Father. The Father's. Now, the Lord our God is one, but it is the role of the Father to grant measures of anointing. But it is for those um, for whom it is prepared by my Father. Okay, but now watch this. We have to back up, and, and this is, if you haven't listened at all, listen now. This is the first step in competence in walking into anointing. It's understanding that anointing has a cup. Jesus modeled the anointed life. How did he do it? He laid his life down for his friends. To walk in the perfection of anointing, the fullness of the kingdom of God as he did, it meant a fullness of the drinking of his cup. The fullness of laying his life down. Now I ask you, did, um, did he fully lay, um, when was the first point he fully laid his life down even unto death? Was it at the cross? I love it. All those answers are right. I just want to put out, put out the concept that is so critical that it was not at the cross when he first yielded all, laid his life down fully, and accepted his cup. In order for him to have the measure of anointing, it means he accepted his cup. He lived a life of accepting his cup. In fact, in fact let me, um, we're going to read a little bit more here, so stay there, I think. But um, I want you just briefly, I'm going to Matthew 26. And I want to read something you're familiar with, but I want to show you in the context of what we're talking about. Matthew 26, I'm starting in verse 36. Actually, now I'm going to go, I'm just going to start in 39. 26:39. This is um, the night he's an, uh, anticipating his death. It says in the previous verse, he's exceedingly sorrowful. He's agonizing. Okay, verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. So he's talking to his father, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I want to tell you something. If Jesus is our model for anointing, you just read the heart that gets measure upon measure of anointing. It's the heart that has accepted the cup. He's obvious, and I love that this records that he's struggling with his cup. Do you love that too? I mean, um, I don't want a cup. <laughs> Does anybody want a cup? I mean, I don't, I, I don't want a cup, but now listen to me. If God's design is that I accept and I am prostrate, like in that positioning for fruit bearing that we read about, if that requires that I accept my cup, then I want my cup. 
It's the heart attitude that it's the heart attitude of of um, that cup stinks. <laughs> it's okay to be honest. He knows what you're thinking anyway. <laughs> but the heart that says, "But not my will, your will." I want full joy. And if that means suffering, if that means sacrifice, if that means I lay my life down this way or that way for my anointing, then, I, then we need that. That's the step one. So in other, words, in other words, listen to me. If you're praying for more anointing, is, any, is, anyone, is this series causing you to get hungry and go, Lord, I want more anointing on my life. I want more of your weight of glory, your presence making me effective. Okay, then what you have to understand this morning is what you're praying for is your cup. It's inseparable. <laughs> don't smile at me like that. You're making me feel bad. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you know what? Maybe this is why you're smiling. Maybe you know something that we all need to know. Do you know that in the cup of suffering, he is making a temple of the Holy Spirit? All suffering. That's where the word of God, well, we can read the verse that says he brings all things to good. Well, that's true, but that's kind of the soft version. What we're talking about this morning is, is the depth of suffering is the release of anointing. It is what positions us um, upright and active and yet completely, utterly prostrate to the rule of heaven. To the measure that you pray for anointing or you seek the person of the Holy Spirit powerfully upon, we're talking about a changing of our mind, a repentant life that is so turned toward him that we're talking about the acceptance of our cup, and he modeled it. He accepted his cup more fully than anybody ever will, and all authority was put under his feet. All anointing, the entire seat. The good news is, do you know what it tells us in Ephesians? You're seated with him. You're sitting in his lap. Hallelujah. You're sitting in his lap. That's why I'm thinking, man, that um, she almost had the right prayer when she drug her sons to him. <laughs> like, oh, are you satisfied with the left and the right? <laughs> I sit in his lap. <laughs> I don't want the right seat and I don't want the left one. But let me tell you what else this tells us. Um, I don't know about you, but I want my cup. I don't want yours. I don't want Jesus's. I don't. I don't want Jesus's cup. <laughs> I want my cup. And, and here's what I've got to tell you, and I'm going to wrap with this thought and then pray for you if that's okay. In other words, what we're saying is for, for great anointing to be upon your life, for, for the power and authority that you're meant for to reveal the heart of the Father in this world, to expose the kingdom of God and bring people into it, for that, there's a price. The cup is a price, but here's where we've got to be careful. Or, uh, people will do wonky things, and that's not okay. Do you know that there is no price to receive his love? 
We've got to get this straight. Do you know that you can receive the salvation, you can receive the redemption of the finished work of Jesus and, um, and know nothing about the fullness of joy that comes from walking in anointing? You see it all the time. You know, I mean, that's, unfortunately, I think it's most of the church. It's, it's half of my life, probably more than half, most of my days. It's most of the church, at least I'll speak for in America right now. We know very little about that. It's very easy to, re- to have the free part. The free part that Jesus, um, Jesus paid. You know why it's free for you? He paid for it. He paid for it. You're, you're in. You're in if you receive it, if you accept it. That part's free. Do you, and we also have to say this. Do you know that your participation in the person of the Holy Spirit, living the powerful anointed life, does not change his love for you? It's so important to get that. It's not like if you walk in more anointing and you produce more fruit, he loves you more. Because it's not possible for him to love you more. He's nuts about you. And do you know that your lack of participation in that life does not make him love you less? We have to say that. He's crazy about you, period. Go ahead and say that. He's crazy about me. <laughs> period. I, yeah, that a boy. Put the period on there. <laughs> but we have to say this this morning. Participation in the anointing, however has a cost. That's the take up your cross part. You see, I don't, I don't need to take up Jesus's cross. He already died for me. <laughs> I got my own cross, and what's that for? That's because I'm hungry to live the anointed life. That's because I want the fullness of joy. I'm not coasting <laughs> to the next age. That's, that's a miserable life. You know, you're almost better off not to be... <laughs> not to be a Christian during this age than than to coast your way. You put yourself in the crosshairs of a horrible warfare (laughs) without being in, without carrying the power and authority you need in this warfare. That's a terrible place to be. It's more wonderful than dying eternally. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's a hard, that's a hard way to live. And the anointing is, is your cup. Amen? Amen? Okay. Can I pray for you? Okay, then I'm going to pray for real. Put your seatbelt on. I'm going to ask for him to do stuff. <laughs> I'm going to ask for him to do stuff in your life. Are you ready? Do, do you sense that you are ready to start accepting your cup more fully? A deeper cup? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, we're getting we're getting confidence. That's good. That's good. Who's going to hold you? Who's going to make it possible for you to walk in the fullness of your cup? Spirit. Spirit. That's right. That's why I like your confidence. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm ready. Why? Because you know you don't really have to do it anyway. You just have to accept. And the Spirit is the one who makes it possible to walk in the suffering of that cup. Okay, you know this. Okay, let's pray. Father, I ask a blessing on this church. Every one of them. 
you are positioning us, Lord. We just want to agree with heaven and say, yes, you are positioning us for greater anointing, for a greater presence of your spirit to come upon. That's your idea. And we say yes. And so, Father, I ask this prayer. In the week, in the weeks ahead, I'm asking that you, Holy Spirit, would begin to reveal to each one in this body where we are rejecting our cup. And I'm asking you, Lord, to reveal to us that, that Holy Spirit, will you encourage us? Also show us where you are so delighted in each one because they've accepted their cup. We're asking, Lord, that you would increase our cup Make it deeper. We want to go. I can tell by the response in this place today, Lord, that, that we've, got a, we've got a church full of people here who want to go. They're willing to accept this cup, and we're asking for an outpouring. We want to be so ridiculously um, full of you and your glorious presence upon that, um, that we blow this place away. I'm asking for the release of power and authority, for, for a release of the sensitivity to your voice. I'm asking for a prophetic voice to break out in this church. So we're not a step behind, but we're right in step with you everywhere you're leading us, Lord. I'm asking that the gifts of the body in this place would explode in your fire. Uh, Lord, I'm tired of seeing the sick among us. I'm tired of seeing people bound up in the demonic and they don't even know it. I'm just, I'm irritated with it. I'm done with it. And Lord, I'm asking that your anointing would be released for the breaking of the darkness, starting over this body, and that the cup would be so full that it couldn't stay in this place, Father. I'm asking that the cup would begin to overflow across the streets and into this community and that darkness is falling, that we're going we're gonna to break bonds that have held people hostage, captives of war, for far too long. Lord, we're asking for the breaking out of the freedom of your name, Jesus. We love your name. And so grant us the miracle of being the people who accept our cup. And say, yes, Lord, thank you for my cup. I'm in. I want to be a part of revealing the heart of the Father with power and authority all around me. Help me accept our cup, Lord. Help us accept our cup. We love you, Jesus. There is power in your name. And I thank you for what you've done in hearts today. So actually, I'm so confident that the Lord's done something in hearts today. I just want to pray this too. Father God, I want to seal the work in the Holy Spirit. What you've just done in hearts, I want to seal that work in the authority of your name, Jesus. And I declare that the enemy cannot touch um, the seeds that have been planted this morning, the, the sprouts that have just started is not going to be touched by the kingdom of darkness. The work is sealed. It's final. Go grow in it, <laughs> church, in the name of Jesus.